keep an eye on her back there, but uh, we're glad you're here tonight, and we are so thankful that we can assemble together and study God's Word, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, and I hated to be gone last week, I spoke at West Corinth, but I, I was committed to that, so I hate to miss when I'm teaching, but it's good to be back here tonight. Uh, be sure and remember all those that are sick. I'm not going to go through the process of listing all those that are sick. Uh, they are updated in the bulletin. I want to encourage you to please take one of the bulletins and check that out, as well as other activities and things that are listed in the bulletin. And uh, I was trying to think of something else that I meant to tell you tonight, but I can't remember what it was. But let's just go ahead tonight and let's begin with a prayer. Will you bow with me? Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful and thankful for all the many wonderful blessings that you give us each day. We recognize that you are the source of all good things, and without you we could have nothing, we could be nothing. Father, we're mindful at this time of many on our minds that are sick, many that are facing difficulties of various kinds. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Uh, we pray that you would be with each of those individuals and their families. May your hand of healing and hope and comfort be upon them, Father, and we pray that you would bless those that are being uh, treated uh, by doctors. We pray that those things will be done in such a way that uh, they can be restored to their health. Father, we're so thankful for the church that meets here at Boonville. We're thankful for the shining light that this congregation is in this community. And we pray for our leaders here. We pray that you'll continue to give them wisdom. Uh, we pray for the various works that we're involved in. Uh, as a church and as individuals, please continue to help us to be mindful of uh, doing your work in the most effective way possible. We're thankful for this opportunity we have to study your word tonight. We pray that you'll bless us in our study, that we'll open up our hearts and minds to your word, and that we'll try to apply what we learn to our lives. Most of all, we're thankful for your precious son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There was a woman that uh, was in court, and uh, she had stolen a tin of peaches. And the judge asked her, how many peaches were in that tin? And uh, she said, four. He said, well, you're going to have to serve one month for each of those peaches that you stole. That's going to be four months. And as she walked out of the courtroom, her husband said she also stole a can of peas too. So... Anyhow, 
All right, we're going to study about another character tonight uh, in the Old Testament, a person from the patriarchal age that I think you'll find rather interesting. Who am I? My son was the oldest man to ever live, and yet he died before I did. My son was the oldest man to ever live, and yet he died before I did. Well, I guess you got that, didn't you? All right, we're going to talk about Enoch tonight. Uh, If you want to pull that riddle on somebody at work, maybe you could fool somebody. The Bible says, if you look in your Bibles there in Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, that Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters, All the days of Enoch were 365, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I often wonder how long Enoch might have lived if God had not taken him. That might have been interesting as well. You know, there's no more fruitful study than to study the people of the Bible. Uh, We can see principles of truth and Righteousness demonstrated in the lives of men and women. And we ought never to overlook the fact that these people that we're talking about are real people. You know, they're not supernatural. Sometimes we tend to put these people that we read about in the Bible on some kind of pedestal. You know, they're not supernatural. They're just like us with our weaknesses, our frailties, our shortcomings. And we really need to understand that. Now, Enoch was one that we might refer to as a minor character of the Bible. And perhaps there's a sense in which we can receive more encouragement by studying minor characters because, you know, they're ordinary people just like us, and yet they're able by their faithfulness to God to accomplish great things for God. And everything the Bible says about this man Enoch is recorded in just 10 verses. That's it. We have ten verses about this man Enoch and uh, what it says and the things that we can learn, I believe, are very worthy of our consideration. Yep, we're going to talk about that too. Yep, we're going to talk about that. Including those verses, everything that's said about Enoch, Old and New Testament, there's ten verses that talk about him. First of all, as we think about Enoch, I want to emphasize the fact that Enoch had a good name. How important is a good name to have? Somebody? It's better than great riches. Anybody else? What would you be willing to trade for your good name? Some people are willing to give up their good name, aren't they? And yet other people treasure their good name. They value their good name. They value the good reputation that they have. You know, it's sad when somebody uh, destroys their good name, destroys their character. And, you know, when we think about certain people, certain thoughts come to our mind, don't they? Almost immediately. And so one of the most valuable things that we have in life is the good name that we have. And we need to make sure that We don't do anything to ever soil that good name. But Enoch had a good name. His name signifies to instruct, to initiate, to dictate, or to dedicate. Uh, His name seems to suggest that his father Jared and his mother gave great, great consideration to the spiritual training of their son. Uh, It seems that Enoch was initiated that He was dedicated to serving God from the time that he was a child. You know, when you think about being a parent, there's no greater responsibility that a parent has to a child than the responsibility of their spiritual training. You know, children may grow up, your children may achieve great things academically. They may receive great accolades, you know, because of their scholarly capabilities. Maybe they're a great athlete on the field and you know we really emphasize that that individual, that child achieved much in athletics to the best of their ability. 
But if we don't set that child on the course spiritually that they need to go, then we failed as a parent. It's our job as, as parents, it's our responsibility to train up a child in the way he should go. In other words, we are to set them on the right course. Now, we can't make decisions for them once they're older and they're responsible for themselves, but we can set them on the right course while they're young. And I think this is something we need to think about, just like Enoch who had a good name and just like apparently his parents were very concerned about you know, his, his upbringing spiritually. You know, we as parents and grandparents need to take a greater interest in what our children do and what's most important to our children. Can children see in our lives what's most important? Can they? Well, you know, if I neglect to come to church services because of a secular activity and I do that real often, what are that, what's that going to say to the child? You know? What's it going to say to the child when they know that I just casually give to the Lord? I don't give all that much to God, but boy, we've got a nice house and a nice car and all these fancy things. See, children catch us on things. They see the way we talk. They understand our attitude. They hear us when we are home and we discuss things about the church. And uh, children know exactly what our priorities are. We need to make sure that we bring those children up in a responsible way. One time, a man and his hog, his hog won first place at the, at the fair. I mean, a great honor. But you know, the keeper of that hog was a little boy, stunted in growth, smoking one cigarette after another, cursing almost at every breath. But you see, the same man that raised the hog raised the boy. But the man read books about hogs. He did everything he could to make sure he had a prized hog, but he wasn't concerned about the spiritual and the physical well-being of his own child. And we need to understand that as parents and grandparents, that our influence on our children are going to be felt for a long time to come. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, Paul said, Fathers, Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Now, I know that mothers and fathers have a combined responsibility to bring those children up. But you know, what's happened in our society is that, that the father, the man, hasn't taken on his responsibility. And when we see all that's happening in our world today... Uh, a big key to that, even those that have studied it have talked about the fact that it's the absence of a father. A father is to be the spiritual leader of the family. And that's something that we as fathers need to take much more seriously than we do. We just can't leave it up to the mothers. It's up to us as fathers to make sure that we're leading our children spiritually in the way they should go. I think about Joshua long ago in Joshua 24 and verse 15. He said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then notice what he said. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua said, regardless of what you may say or do with your family, I and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And I love what the Bible says about Abraham over in Genesis 18 and verse 19. It says, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall keep the law of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. You think about the confidence that uh, that says about what Abraham was doing as a father. You know, perhaps the naming of the child was a means of encouraging him to be dedicated to God. You know, since the name Enoch itself uh, means to dedicate, to initiate, maybe the naming of the child to begin with signifies the parent's desire for him to be dedicated to God. 
You know, parents need to let their children know from the time that they're born that they expect that child to act a certain way, to do certain things, to, to be a faithful Christian. We're raising that child up in the way that he should go, and there's expectations that we need to have about our children today. You know, it's a mistake that parents make today when, you know, parents will tell children how mean they are, or, you know, you constantly tell them how you're going to wind up in the penitentiary, you know. And we, we give all these negative messages to children, and sometimes they end up following that direction. You know, our homes today are in serious trouble, aren't they? Serious trouble because of the homes uh, in which children are growing up. It saddens me when I look out at our world today and I see children that are growing up with parents who are on drugs, you know, with parents who have been unfaithful to one another. They're not even living together. You know, they're not taught anything about moral values and it just seems like their lives are cyclical. You know, it just goes in cycles and the child becomes like the parent and then their children becomes like them and there's just no ending to the cycle. Somebody's going to have to step up and say, you know, that's all, that's it, this is the end of this. You know, we've got to start making right decisions even if we have to give up things we want and we desire for the good of our children. You know, it's amazing to me how somebody could allow a habit or some kind of behavior to come between them and their own children that they love so dearly. To me, a child ought to be one of the greatest motivating factors for a mom and a dad to want to do right and to be right and to lead those, parents, lead those children in the way that they should go. But you know, the thing about Enoch is, not only was he named in a way that might lean, incline him to be dedicated to God, but Enoch kept his good name, didn't he? Not only did he keep it, he enhanced its worth. You know, some names that were perfectly good have been ruined forever. I don't recall an announcement in the bulletin, you know, little Judas Iscariot was born, you know, March the 14th, weighing, you know, you never hear that, do you? Or uh, Jezebel, you know, she was born on February the 15th. You don't hear names like that anymore. You don't hear names like Saddam or Hitler or Ahab or any names like that. Those names have been ruined, haven't they, for the most part? Because those characters immediately uh, bring to mind their evil and sinful behavior. On the other hand, other names have been protected and improved on. You hear the name David or Paul or John or James or Andrew or Joseph or many other names that come to mind. Those names have very positive connotations because we know the characters that are associated with those names. And so what are we doing with our name? What are you doing with your name? Uh, how do people see you and view you? And also, what are you doing with the name of Jesus Christ? That's the name that we wear, isn't it? If we're a child of God, if we've obeyed the gospel, we wear the name of Christ. We are a New Testament Christian. What am I doing with that name? Am I bringing a positive light upon that name by how I behave? You know, Paul described Christians as letters, as epistles. And it may be that someone that meets you or knows you, whether at work or somewhere else, it may be that is all they're ever going to see and know about Christianity or about the Boonville Church of Christ, perhaps. What's their impression based upon you and, and your behavior? And so we need to realize, as Romans 2 and verse 24 says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. We don't want that to ever be true of us who claim to be followers of Christ. And so Enoch had a good name. Now, secondly, Enoch belonged to two very small classes of people. 
Enoch was a very unique individual. It is said that he walked with God, and only that is said about him and two others. Only three people does the Bible say they walk with God. First of all, you find those words about Noah. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, the Bible says, These are the generations of Noah. He was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, was Noah perfect? Was he sinless? No. He was a person just like we are. You know, there's a difference between being faithful and being sinless. You know, a husband and wife can be faithful to each other, right? But they're not perfect, are they? But they can be faithful. We can be faithful to God and, and still fall short sometimes, even when we do the best that we can do. And the Bible says about Noah that he walked with God. Now, that's also said about Levi over in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 6. It's really speaking of the Levitical priesthood in general uh, after the time of the golden calf. The Bible says, God speaking here, the law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. Now, if you look at the original text here, when the Bible says uh, about him walking with God, the text literally says about Enoch, he set himself out to walk with God. What does that mean? What does it mean that he set himself out to walk with God? Make any thoughts on that? He made a point to do it. It wasn't just a flippant decision, right? Set his mind to it. He was resolved to do it. And uh, he was determined to do it. He had a purpose in his existence. And uh, that's how that Enoch was able to successfully walk with God. And so, you know, people, people don't serve God faithfully unless they have a fixed purpose and a determination to do so. I mean, it takes a determination to do what's right. You know, I think about Daniel and the situation he was in as he was now a slave in captivity. And he was one of those chosen, you know, to serve uh, the king. And in Daniel 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat or with the king's wine, which he drank, Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see, Daniel had made the decision even before the actual event transpired. You know, if a young person, if a young person makes the decision ahead of time what they're going to do and how they're going to behave when it comes to sexual purity, that's half the battle right there, isn't it? The decision has already been determined. I've already purposed in my heart that I will not defile myself in this particular way or that particular way. And so we can avoid a lot of problems and temptations if we have purposed in our heart and determined beforehand you know, what we are and what we're not going to do in certain situations. I think about what... Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 14, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, that's the same kind of wording there. It means to chase. It means to flee. It means to pursue. There's a determination of purpose. Paul said here, I press toward the mark. I have my goal set on what I want to do and how I want to live, and nothing is going to deter me from doing that. And so Enoch belongs to that very small class of people who are said to walk with God. Now, the second small class to which Enoch belonged is that class that went to heaven without dying. Anybody here plan to do that sometime? Anybody here going to go to heaven without dying? Be nice, would it? Wouldn't it? Well, one day we know we're going to die if the world stands. You know, I've always said, 
Well, I don't guess I need to go into that right now. It's one of those things that pop into my mind that I'm tempted to say, but I shouldn't. But I, you know, I want to be by one of those. You call those at, at the cemetery the sarcophaguses, you know, those, those uh, r- tables that you, what do you call those things? You pull in and out. I'm, I'm blank. Mausoleum. See, I should have thought about that if I was going to say it. I would love to be alive and be by one of them when the Lord comes back. I really would. I'd love to see what's going to happen. It's going to be an amazing thing. But, you know, that's not the normal process, is it? I expect to die one day. I hope it's not tomorrow, but it could be. You know, death is something that's going to happen. But Enoch was one that never had to taste of death. Now, there's something about death that I guess we fear to a certain degree because we've never experienced it before, right? How many conversations have you had with somebody who's died? Anybody? I'll call your psychiatrist if you say yes, but anyhow. Uh, uh, you know, we, we, we don't know exactly what it's like to die. We know what it is. We know that death is the separation of body and spirit. You know, you are your soul. You are who you are. and You happen to have a body right now, and one day that body's going to go back to the dust from whence it came, but who you are is going to continue to live on forever. Who you are is never going to die. It's this physical body that one day is going to die. But the Bible says that Enoch did not taste death. That's only said of Enoch and who? Elijah. Okay. Now if you look about Elijah over in 2 Kings 2 and verse 11, the Bible says it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah just disappeared, didn't he? Went to heaven without actually dying. Now, did God ever promise to translate anybody like he did Enoch and Elijah? Did God ever promise to do that? Never did do it, did he? See, there's two kinds of promises of God. There's conditional promises and there's unconditional promises. You think about a conditional promise in Matthew 6 and verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a conditional promise. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's a conditional promise. You have to believe and be baptized in order to be saved. Be thou faithful unto death, Revelation 2 verse 10, and I will give you the crown of of life. That's a conditional promise. But in the Bible, there are also several unconditional promises. For example, God promised that He was going to destroy the world by a flood. He warned Noah, right? That was an unconditional promise. It was going to happen regardless, wasn't it? Uh, another thing is the judgment. The judgment is something that none of us can escape, none of us can avoid. It is an unconditional promise. Uh, Think about the resurrection itself. You know, the Bible says that one day we're all going to come forth from the grave, aren't we? I don't care if you want to be a part of that or not. You're going to rise from the dead one day. All that are in the grave shall hear His voice and come forth. That's exactly right. And so those are uh, unconditional promises. But isn't it wonderful that we serve a God that does some things for those who are obedient to Him that maybe He hasn't even promised to do. I'm not saying that He's going to translate some of you folks here, you know, that you won't see death. I'm just making the point that I think it's encouraging that we serve a God that does some things for those who are obedient that maybe He hasn't promised to do. Because if you look at Ephesians 3 and verse 20, the Bible says, Now unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so Enoch belonged to two very special classes of people. It said that he walked with God and he did not see death. All right, we need to move on. Also, Enoch walked with God from the day his son was born, the Bible says. If you look at Genesis 5 and verse 21, the Bible says Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. The next verse says that Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 
300 years and begat sons and daughters. Now, whether he walked with God before Methuselah was born, we're not told. I assume that he did, you know. But the Bible's very specific about the fact that he walked with God after Methuselah was born. You know, all accountable human beings ought to be Christians, you know, whether parents or not. But, you know, when we bring a child into this world, he's no longer responsible for just himself, but he's responsible for his child as well. We've already talked about that. Uh, You know, Enoch's son never knew a day when his daddy wasn't walking with God. Isn't that something to think about? Enoch never knew a moment when his daddy was not walking with God. What about your children and my children? Should we not set for them that same kind of an example? Should that not motivate us to be the kind of people that we ought to be as we know the tremendous impression that we're making upon such impressionable hearts and minds. You know, it's strange to me that Enoch's son Methuselah is better known perhaps than Enoch, though Enoch walked with God and didn't even see death but was translated. So that's a very interesting, I think, fact that we can learn about Enoch. From the time his children were born, the Bible says he walked with God. Another point that I want to make tonight is that Enoch walked with God during a very wicked age of the earth. I hear people sometimes say the world's never been as wicked as it is now. I'm not denying the fact that our world is wicked, but you know, when you read in history, when you look at the Bible, we're not even close to what people in certain ages of the world were in days past and gone. We may think we're close in some ways. Maybe social media and the way we can communicate makes it more obvious to us. And some people even have the idea, there's no way I can be a Christian in the circumstances that I'm in. I mean, everything around us is so wicked, it's so difficult to do what's right. But Enoch sets an example for us in that he walked with God during a very wicked age of the earth. Now, Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. He was also a contemporary with Noah's father, Lamech. And he was also a contemporary with Adam's son, Seth. Now, the Bible says concerning Noah's day in Genesis 6 and verse 5 that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every thought of man's heart was evil continually. I don't think you can get any worse than that. He's talking about the majority, if not all people, except for Noah and his family. Even the very thought of their heart was evil, was inclined to be wicked. But ain't it proved that a man can walk with God even in a very evil conditions? You know, we find examples of others who face difficult, difficult circumstances just like Enoch did. Think about Joseph sold by his brothers, perhaps as a teenage boy, into Egypt. In his brothers' minds, they killed him when they sold him into slavery because there's no way a a young boy like that could survive down in Egypt. But even in adverse circumstances, in difficult circumstances, away from his family, uh, you know, he didn't even know if his father knew he was alive. You know, you can think about the fact that he may have thought, why didn't Dad come and get me? Why can't he just come and get me? Dad didn't know he was still alive. He thought he was dead. And yet, Joseph always trusted in God. He faced various kinds of adversity on the course that he eventually set for himself and he became second only to Pharaoh himself because he did what was right. He trusted in God even in an evil environment. You think about Daniel and the three Hebrew children down in Babylon. You think about how that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't even bow down to that idol. They paid the ultimate price by being thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. And yet God spared their lives, but they were still willing to do what's right regardless. Or you think about Nehemiah when he was in Persia and how he did what was right and eventually was able to lead God's people back to Jerusalem. Or 
in the New Testament, you think about the saints in Caesar's household. You see, Enoch probably would make some people ashamed today who say they, they can't live the Christian life because of the environment in which they live. And then let me suggest quickly that Enoch walked with God without the benefit of a Bible. Not a single verse had been written in the Bible back when Enoch walked with God. Enoch had never read the Sermon on the Mount. He never heard the 23rd Psalm. He never read the Proverbs of Solomon. He never read the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. And yet he still walked with God. Now he had some kind of revelation from God. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now we know Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. So we know that God had spoke to him in some way. He knew what he ought to do and how he ought to live and what he shouldn't do. And so that's the only way he could live by faith. But in that dark, starlight age of the world, he walked with God for around three centuries. Now, quickly, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, Deuteronomy 13 verse 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God, fear Him, keep His commandments, obey His voice. You shall serve Him and cleave unto Him. That means that they were to recognize the authority and the, uh, the superiority of God in their lives. Uh, Genesis chapter 17 says... When Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be perfect. You see, Abraham was to be aware of God's superintending power and might. And of course, you think about what the Bible says, we emphasize to the kids in kids sing, what's the key verse of authority in all the Bible? Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord, Colossians 3 in verse 17. And we need to recognize that uh, God is the Creator. He has the right to command us as His Creator, and we are to respect His authority by respecting His Word. You know, Enoch walking with God also suggests a closeness to God, an intimacy with God. Amos 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And then I want to suggest, and I may... Go ahead, since time is getting away from us. Enoch, was, of course, was a prophet. And if you want to jot down Jude 14 and verse 15, that's where the Bible mentions that. And, uh, of course, the naming of his son might be a, an indication of his prophetic office. Methuselah means to die when the flood comes. So maybe that's an indication of his uh, prophetic uh, abilities. So just m remember, he's a prophet, and uh, and that, that's something to consider. But lastly, before the bell rings, Enoch pleased God. Can we know if we're pleasing to God or not? Or we just have to guess. We know if we're pleasing to God. How do we know? Well, how do we know we please God, though? How do I know I'm pleasing to God? Does He have to tell me what's pleasing to Him for me to know, or do I guess? Do I feel it in my heart? His Word. Hey, I may feel a certain way about something, but I may be dead wrong. I've got to go to His Word and see what His Word says. Uh, God's Word is spirit and life, and we have to go to that Word to find out what God would have me to be, how He wants me to live, how He wants me to worship, how He wants me to conduct myself. And so the faithful Christian has God's testimony that he pleases God. You know, Paul said to the Romans, you know, his spirit bears witness with my spirit that we are sons of God. How does that happen? Well, his spirit tells me what to do to become a Christian, right? My spirit bears witness that I've done it. So I can go to God's Word and see what to do to become a Christian, and his spirit bears witness with my spirit. I do what God says because that's the way he said to do it. And thus we are children of God. Now, Hebrews 11 and verse 5, we've got a minute here, says that Enoch was not found because God had translated him. Does that mean they looked for him and couldn't find him, you think? Probably so. Uh, perhaps it was not known what happened to Enoch. 
You know, maybe it was a cold case, right? Uh, maybe they didn't know what happened to Enoch until Moses wrote about it, you know, uh, many, many years later. I think about this little girl going to Bible class, and after Bible class, this girl told her mother that God and Enoch went on a walk together, and it began to get dark, and Enoch started to go back home, but God said, it's closer to my house than yours, so why don't you just go home and meet? You know, isn't that a wonderful perspective from a little girl, you know? And maybe there's a lot of truth in that that we don't really think about. Someone else said they know that Enoch was translated because they saw him walking with God and they knew which direction he was headed. So I believe there's a lot of information about a man like Enoch. Only ten verses in the Bible about this man. There's a lot that we can learn that I believe that we can apply to our lives and, and it can benefit us tremendously. Any comments? I've got 740. I think that's what time I'm supposed to quit. Any comments or questions from anybody? Feel free to speak up. Well, I appreciate y'all's attention tonight. I appreciate it very, very much. And so, uh, right, here comes the kids. Now.
All right, let's go ahead and uh, get started tonight if we can, please. We are very glad you're here tonight. I hope you've enjoyed your period of Bible study tonight. It's always encouraging anytime we can assemble together as a group. But I, I think a service like we have on Wednesday nights is especially important. It kind of recharges our batteries a little bit for the rest of the week. And we're thankful and honored that you're here and we have visitors tonight. And we especially are thankful that you've come our way tonight. Uh, I do want to encourage you to please take one of the bulletins before you leave. You'll find an updated uh, list of those that are sick that we need to remember and try to encourage. Uh, I just received a notice about uh, Chopper's mother, Geraldine Taylor, who fell. And uh, she's been in the ER all day. And uh, while there, while examining her, they found a mass. So they're trying to uh, find the right hospital uh, to send her to. So we need to remember uh, Chopper's mother, Geraldine Taylor, and our prayers and that family in this time of uncertainty. We also want to express our deepest sympathy to Laura Galloway and the death of her dad, John Dryden of Leoma, Tennessee. Visitation is going to be tomorrow from 5 until 8 at the Neal Nursing Home in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. And the funeral is going to be at 1 o'clock on Friday at the Leoma Church of Christ. In conjunction with that, there's going to be a van uh, traveling to Lawrenceburg for Laura's dad's funeral visitation tomorrow night. It says here the bus is going to leave approximately at 4.30, and if you would like to go on that, please let Laura Crocker know uh, if you would like to go. So that's tomorrow night for the visitation. I also uh, want to remind the FHU associates, the Freed Hardeman associates, you're going to meet tomorrow night. Uh, at 7 o'clock in the annex. Also, the food pantry and the clothes closets open tomorrow, and the pantry item for this week is macaroni and cheese. Uh, let's remember Super Saturday Bible School that's coming up on June the 11th. It's right around the corner. Registration forms are in the foyer. Please fill one out for each child that will be attending Super Saturday and try to get that back in by May 29th. Also, if you're a high school graduate, uh, college graduate, maybe trade school. Uh, we would like your information to print in the bulletin for a salute to our graduates. And there's a form in the foyer that you can take and fill out and bring that back or email it. And uh, you're encouraged to attach a picture as well. Uh, if not, we can draw one of you maybe, but we'll see. Uh, please have those in by May 29th. Also, I want to emphasize the fact that Mission Sunday it's coming up in a week and a half on May 29th. I hope we'll be thinking about that and uh, considering the importance of that date and uh, what it means to our uh, missions opportunities here at Boonville. That's all the announcements that I have tonight for our devotional. Anthony Acock will be leading our singing, and Brother Chris Beard will dismiss us in prayer. Take your hymn books, Mark number 902. 902 will be the song of the invitation. Then turn to 
It's a very popular notion in the religious world, and many people, you know, express it in this way. We're all headed to the same place. We're just kind of going in different ways. Well, in one sense, that might be true because certainly all of us are, first of all, headed to the day of judgment, no matter what direction we travel. The Bible says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so uh, we're all headed to that destination, regardless of what road we may be traveling. But after the day of judgment, we're not all going to end up in the same place. Jesus, earnestly trying to warn us of this, said, Enter ye in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. See, according to the words of Jesus and it ought to hurt us to even consider this fact, but according to Jesus, the majority of people are going to be lost. Only a few, in contrast to the many, will go to heaven. According to Jesus, there's only two ways to travel to eternity. Every person is either on the broad way or the narrow way. The broad way leads to destruction. It's very easy to travel down that broad way. You can carry it with it, all of your sins, all of your selfish desires, anything that you want to do. You can travel down that broad way and you can have plenty of company. And yet only a few are going to choose to travel that narrow way that leads to eternal life. There's no middle road. There's no other road to travel by. And it's sad to me that the vast majority of people that we encounter on a daily basis are, are not really all that concerned about being eternally lost. But the Bible warns us in Hebrews 10, 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so I want to encourage each of us to think about our priorities and I want each of us to examine our lives and let's resolve that we're going to choose to travel that narrow way that leads to eternal life. Of course, that narrow way begins with the decision to become a New Testament Christian. There may be some here tonight who need to make that decision. And to become a Christian, you have to believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John 8 and verse 24. You need to be willing to change your life and repent, Luke 13, 3 and 5, and confess before men that Jesus is the Son of God. And then to be immersed in water. Imitating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Romans 6, 3, and 4, as you're buried with the Lord in baptism and you rise to walk in newness of life. And then you can leave this building with the hope and confidence that heaven can be yours. Tonight, if you're subject to heaven's invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
you bow with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have all enjoyed the health and the means that we were able to make it here tonight to gather together to study thy word and to worship you. Father, we pray that our worship has been according to thy word. Father, also we ask you that you will be with those who have been mentioned as sick. Father, especially we pray for Geraldine Taylor. We pray that you will be with her and her caregivers, that she can get the care she needs to return to her most wanted places in life. Also, Father, we ask you that you will be with all of those who have lost loved ones, and again, especially Father Laura Galloway and the loss of her father. Ask you that you comfort her and her family as only you can. Father, we ask you that you will go with us as we go out through the rest of this week and pray that we will all be able to join together again Sunday morning to worship you. In Christ's name, amen.